0: Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here in Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of November 12th, 2018. The weekly top three is a regular segment on the Michael Duke Show. I join Michael on the show each Tuesday morning, now from 6.20 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. The show broadcasts on Facebook Live and via streaming audio from the show's website weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, and SoundCloud pages, and on my website at bgkeithley.com. You can find past episodes of the weekly top three also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with us of these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. First, our views on the early appointments and organization by the Mike Dunleavy administration and the House Republicans. Second, we take on the issue of whether we should be rebating past PFD cuts. We don't believe we should. And third, what is going on with oil prices and what does that mean for Alaska? And now, let's join Michael.
1: Tuesdays again, down in the weeds, and that means that we get a chance to chat with one of our favorite people who uh, allows me to bring out my inner nerd, uh, my number nerd, and my uh, my political, my wonkish side. That is Brad Keithley from Alaska's for Sustainable Budget. He's the founder of that organization and we get a chance to talk about his weekly top 3 which is basically the three biggest issues that he feels are important uh to the uh to the state to the nation and more so. Good morning, Brad. How are you doing this morning, sir?
0: Michael, I'm doing I'm doing great. I hope you are as well.
1: You know, I can't complain. It's uh you know, it's it's been a good day and uh I'm I'm just I'm feeling I'm feeling like I'm kind of on track this morning. I've been kind of having these like micro epiphanies as things kind of you know d- uh, you know d- dive down into this. Now you've got some interesting uh, uh, numbers or, or or items in your top three this week um, where I think it's going to be uh, it's gonna it's gonna be pretty interesting to see where these things go. And of course the first one uh, revolves around the new administration. Uh, the House reorganization, what could potentially happen in the Senate. Give us some details about the Dunleavy as transition team, the House reorganization. What are your thoughts on all that?
0: I think the top thing that's happened, that happened in the election and since the election, uh, is the House Republicans uh, coming back in control or the Republicans coming back in control of the Alaska House. And to me, possibly... Well, not not as not as important as the as the governor's race, but pretty damn close is the election of Tammy Wilson as the co-chair of finance for the operating budget. Um, there is no one that I've ever been around, any legislator I've ever been around, who's worked harder to dig into the budget than Tammy. There's no one I think that I've ever been around who has as good a feel for where if, you, if we can make cuts, where those cuts are going to come um, in the budget. And I think her um, uh, appointment, election, whatever the right term is, as, as, the, co, as the House uh, uh, Finance Committee co-chair for uh, operating budget is a huge, huge, huge um, uh, development. It's going to set the tone uh, in the House in a way that it hasn't been set in the last 20 years um and is going to i think trigger a lot of discussion now that doesn't mean <laughs> all that discussion is going to go and, is going to is going to result in the things that that I think need to be done but but I think we're going to have a discussion about about cutting costs in a way that we've uh, that we've never had it
1: you know and that's the thing Tammy for a long time and Tammy and I have been friends for 15 years Um, and, uh, and, you know, we, we've, we've worked on a lot of things together. I believe in her, uh, she and I don't always agree, but, you know, probably 90%, 85, 90% of the time we agree. But one thing she's always been stalwart on is being that fiscal, you know, I mean, she makes fiscal hawks look dovish sometimes, you know, she's really down there in the, in the, in the dirt. Uh, figuring out what needs to be done. I mean, she was the one that presented the 246 separate amendments last year to the budget, uh, which were all summarily rejected. Um, but each and every one was something where she could have found some some things in uh, in the budget to cut back on. Um, and she's always kind of been on the outside. Uh, I mean, she's been there, she's been part of the caucus and the coalition and everything else, but she was always kind of the ones that I seem like a lot of the professional politicians tolerated in air quotes you know uh now she's in the catbird seat i mean this is the second most powerful position inside the house right i mean this is a pretty she's 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 got uh, her hands near the reins of uh, of what's going on and sounds like uh she's got a coalition that might work with her on this inside the caucus
0: well i to me from a fiscal standpoint it's the most important position uh not only in the house but Potentially in the entire legislature because it's the one that that the house does the operating budget first They're the ones that are expected to dig into it deepest uh, They're the ones that are expected to sort of set the tone with respect to the operating budget and, and one thing One thing that <clears throat> you sort of realize there are two co-chairs to house finance One takes care of the operating budget the other takes care of the capital budget Lance Pruitt is going to take care of it. Is going to look out for the capital budget but but it's important which co-chair you are just getting to be a co-chair um it is is significant but it's not it it really is critical which co-chair you are and and for tammy to be the co-chair of the operating budget uh which is where uh a lot of our money goes uh most of our money goes and and where the cuts need to be made for tammy to be in that position i think is i I think the most important position, frankly in this coming legislature, with Mike Dunleavy as governor, um, uh, committed to uh, budget cuts, uh, and uh, and committed to uh, you know on the on the administration side committed to identifying where budget cuts can be made, and with Tammy on the on the House Finance Operating uh, Budget side, uh, sort of receiving that budget and then digging into it deeper, the ability to dig it dig into it deeper, I think uh, I think that's a powerful one-two punch.
1: So with the break with the wake not the breakup but the makeup of what's going on in the house side right now um are you more um I don't want to say bolstered but are you more confident that things may start moving in the right direction with the makeup of what you're seeing right now with some of the changes where kind of the leadership now has shifted I'll be honest I didn't see Talarico coming out as the um as the house speaker um, um, and, uh, and so, I mean, I'm pleasantly surprised again, he and I don't agree a lot on a lot of, on, on some things, but he's a pretty straight shooter from my experience in the past. Um, but are you kind of more confident as you move forward that maybe there's a slight change in direction of the new Republican majority in the house?
0: Oh, it's, it's more than a slight change. I mean, we're going from Paul Seaton uh, <laughs> as the house, uh, finance co-chair for the operating budget to, to Tammy Wilson. That's right. A,
1: Well, I'm trying to, I don't want to overplay my hand here. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to to be coy. I just don't want to be too, you know, because I'm thinking back again to Mike Chenault and Cherise Millette and some of the old guard who have since been washed away uh, and looking there. So, I mean, it's definitely a change, but I I just want to, are you more confident?
0: Yes, yes, I am. Now, it it, it depends on a lot of things. I mean, the Senate still hasn't organized, uh, and it takes two to tango here. It takes the House uh, and the uh, and the senate to agree to budgets um, and, and you have to have both of them uh, and there could be issues that come up on the senate side and on the house side i mean you, you got to get 21 votes on the budget um, and, and and the house uh, caucus uh, has some fairly moderate to almost liberal members in the on the republican side to uh, to deep fiscal conservatives on the republican side and i can see a lot of issues around that. We haven't seen, uh, we haven't seen who the House Finance Committee members are going to be. Uh, those members uh, head uh, subcommittees that deal with uh, various pieces of the budget that sort of roll up into the into the big budget. The, op, the, the co-chair for the operating budget controls that process, but you've got to, you rely on the, the subcommittee chairs to to sort of uh, uh, do the spade work that needs to be done to make the, the big budget work. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that that can can slow this train down and can can derail it. Yet, but but it's a big uh, a big step for uh, the leadership uh, uh, on the on the operating budget side to be put in Tammy Wilson's hands. That she'll set the agenda. Uh, she sets the direction. She'll uh, uh, control the debate. Um, uh, she'll present it on the floor. Um, it's just a, a, a major step, I think, uh, in the right direction. So yeah, I, I feel I've, <laughs> there there were a lot of different ways that could have gone that that would have made me feel very concerned about whether the, the Republicans were going to be able to were going to be directed to, to deliver on their words. Tammy's not one that I've ever seen, uh, uh, go off, uh, not live up to her word. And, um, and her word has been, you know, we're going to make operating budget cuts. So right. I, I, I think that's a big positive.
1: Brad Keith Lee's our guest, Alaskan for sustainable budgets. Um, so, that's kind of the makeup of the House. Like you said, the Senate's still in flux. We're going to get the first count today on the uh, Kelly-Kawasaki race. We'll get the next one on Friday, and then on next Wednesday, I believe, we should have the final 15-day count. We'll know how that goes. The Senate's holding off the uh, their organization until... That's you know happening. Uh, still don't know exactly how that's going to play out. had a conversation with Mike Schauer last week that was very interesting. He's very torn on this because he does not want to join a caucus, but he also does not want to be um, you know basically marginalized and not be effective for his constituents. So he agonized about that on the air with us uh, a bit. Um, but that actually takes us right now uh, to what we do know, which is, of course, the administration of uh, Mike Dunleavy and uh, his organization through the transition. What are your thoughts so far? Oh, and and, and before you jump into that, I guess the million-dollar question that I've been asking myself for the last few days is, did Brad Keithley get an email to say, hey, are you interested in helping advise <laughs> us on anything?
0: Well, the answer to the latter question is no. Uh, I didn't get an email, but... but
1: i'm disappointed my, my, disappointed
0: it would, <laughs> it would get in the way of my travel plans michael I well mean, I know, would, hey be serious it would seriously impair my music
1: why did god invent email there you go that's it right there that's all i'm saying uh all uh, right uh, i'm sorry go uh, ahead
0: but I, but I think the administration has gotten off uh to a good step there are two shoes That i'm really looking at uh to drop that's really going to be an indicator to me of of which direction the administration is going uh and that is uh who's going to be named as omb director office of management and budget that's really the cost control uh center inside the administration and then who's going to be named uh uh, commissioner of revenue uh that's really uh the question of of, you know that that person's going to set the tone with respect to draws from uh, the permanent fund uh, uh earning stream Uh, they're going to set the tone with respect to tax policy uh, the revenue side uh, of the equation so those two appointments which have not yet been made and frankly I haven't heard a lot of a lot of rumors about those uh, those two uh, positions I think are are where the rubber is going to meet the road we'll talk about in the next segment Um, Governor Dunleavy's made one announcement that I I take issue with, I'm going to, I'm going to have issues with, uh, with (laughs) probably any administration, but I'm going to have issues from time (laughs) to time. But, but, but in the, in the, from a, from a general standpoint, uh, the appointment of Tuckerman Babcock as chief of staff, uh, the announcement of Dick Randolph looking at constitutional issues, which, which, uh, as Dunleavy said during the campaign, will include looking at permanent fund draws or putting the permanent fund, the PFD in the constitution. Um, those those announcements so far have have sort of been consistent with what Mike said during the campaign, and don't don't either set off any alarm bells or or uh, otherwise concern me. But but I'm I'm looking specifically at OMB director and Department of Revenue commissioner. Those are going to be the two things that tell me a lot about where this uh, where this administration is going to go.
1: Have you had any concern about any? And, and again, it's been there hasn't been a lot of. Um, talk out of dunleavy and i know you were out of town and but the last time i had him on i've tried to steer him back and get him on a solid ground on where his number is at um as far as uh you know budget and he's kind of committed to that 3.8 to 4 number uh but of course things change, you know, and it depends on who's advising you and what's going on and all these other things. But I mean, uh, do you think he's still going to be anywhere close to that? Do you care to, to prognosticate on that a little bit?
0: Well, I think I think we're way too far in front. And I think that's where OMB director and Department of Revenue are going to give some indication of where the administration is going to go. But but going back, I think that's where Tammy plays a key role. Um, if you, Even if the administration comes up with what I think is going to be a high number, uh, on the budget and a problematic number on the budget. Uh, I think Tammy is positioned to, I I, I don't think that's going to dissuade her, frankly, from digging down into the, the numbers, the way she has done and the the way she has in the past. And I don't think it's going to dissuade her from saying, uh, you know, you said 4.2, uh, I'm going to say 3.8 and here's how we're going to get to it. So I, um, to some degree, the concerns I've had about, about the, the, the numbers, that, uh, that Mike, uh, talked about during the campaign. Uh, those remain, uh, we'll sort of see how they shake out as he does OMB and DOR, but Tammy's, uh, positioning as, uh, as, as the operating, uh, budget, uh, uh, house finance co-chair is, is ameliorating those concerns to some degree.
1: I'll be honest with you, Brad. I'm, I'm getting a little concerned, uh, at this point. I mean, I've been concerned. Don't get me wrong. But I'm a little concerned that um, um, that we're just not uh, paying close enough attention uh, to what's happening, um, you know, in our finances, both in the state. Uh, And I mean, they'll say, well, we're watching it. We're doing all this, but we're acting as if the merry-go-round will never stop. And I think we all know that that is if you're a student of history, you all know that that is not the case. Nobody is too big to fail.
0: Well, yeah. And and you and we'll get to it in the, in the Facebook session after the second segment, but oil prices, I mean, oil prices are, 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 are softening rapidly. Hanking. We've, we've set some sort of record in the number of days that oil prices have declined. And that's a record that goes back to the early eighties when we started to have an oil, oil futures trading. It's we've, we've set a record for the number of consecutive days that oil prices have declined. Um, And so, you know, I know Mike talked about, you know, looking forward to strong oil uh, oil price recovery and strong oil price oil production um, uh, in his administration and is one of the drivers of sort of working our way out of the fiscal situation we're in. Uh, if oil prices continue to soften and stay soft uh, for a for an extended period of time, uh, that sort of shoots that uh, uh, approach uh, in the head. And, and you know, it's it's going to be a scramble to sort of to sort of recover from that. So, um, it, it we are not out of the woods uh, uh, by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Yeah, I mean, oil fell for ten straight days, um, according to the chart I saw. it's Something off something like twelve percent in a month, which is huge. I mean, when it's all said and done, and you look at the ups and downs and everything else, it corrects for some of that, but. Yeah, I mean, no, but, you know, stop expecting that we're going to go back to that hundred dollar barrel oil. Uh, well, and,
0: and and you've got Trump. I yeah. mean, you've got the president out there directly trying to drive oil prices down. I, um, he he does a lot of things differently than others, uh, but this is one that, uh, uh, I, I'm you know, given where the Saudis are politically right now, and the and the whole issues that they're going through with with uh, the assassination in Turkey. Um, it's, um, it, he, he's, he's able to have an effect on the market that, um, that, that is not in Alaska's best interest in this respect right. in, 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 with respect to oil prices. And he seems fairly committed to, to keep driving them down. It seems to be a theme that he's on now. So, um, I, you know, there, there are things, there are fundamentals that are driving the price down, but as we've talked on the show a lot. Fundamentals account for about 80% of the price, and then you get into this froth uh, political, geopolitical uh, factors that are going on that really sort of drive that other 20%. And and right now, all of that, the president's direction is trying to drive them down further. Um, and that's that's having an impact, and it's going to continue to have an impact on, uh, on Alaska.
1: We are continuing now with Brad Keith Lee, founder for Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We already know we're not going to get through all three of our top three. So, Brad and I are going to cover part of that at the top of the hour uh, while we're in the uh, news and commercial break with the Facebook crowd. But we're going to get into number two, which is going to take us almost all the way up to the top of the hour. Number two, Brad, should we be paying back the PFDs? Their governor, obviously, governor elect, made huge promises to say that he was going to uh, repay those. That's something like $3,700. Uh, for every man, woman, and child. Um, uh, No, it was even more than that, wasn't it? It was a significant amount of money when it was all said and done, but that was a promise he made. Should they be paying that out? What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, this is going to surprise some, but but my position on on these PFD cuts that we've had in the past and whether we ought to be paying out a lump sum or even uh, over over time, uh, the amount of the cuts is that we should not be doing it. And, and here, here's the here's the ration here here's my reasoning for that. <clears throat> the PFD is supposed to be something that we worry about, and the permanent fund is something that we worry about not only for this generation, but also for future generations. And uh, we need to make sure that there's equity in how we treat the PFD between the current generation and uh, and, and future generations. During the last three years. We, this government, the Alaska government, has way overspent um, relative to the revenues. We financed that by drawing down almost all of our fiscal reserves, drawing on something like $20 billion of fiscal reserves to keep the government, uh, to finance the government spending at the levels it has. Uh, And we've cut the PFD um, as part of that uh, to help finance, uh, finance the government. When you have deficits uh, in government, uh, as you were talking about at the national level, what you're really doing is you're shoving the costs, the burden of the costs of current spending off on future generations because you're taking money that otherwise would be available to future generations or otherwise would um, uh, produce earnings for future generations and you're using it for this current generation. This generation isn't paying its own way it is pulling that money out of the fiscal reserves uh, and out of the and out of the PFD uh, to, par- to to finance uh, a better standard of living than they uh, than we otherwise could have had had we just uh, uh, relied on the revenues. When a government does that, when a government does deficit financing like that, it's really it's really a big first generational impact uh, to future generations. What a government should do, boy, to, to avoid having in generation to tax itself if it wants to spend more then it should tax itself to pay for it itself as opposed to shoving those costs uh, off on future generations in the last three years we have sort of done that through pfd cuts pfd cuts really are taxes i mean you you can look at the revenue that we should have gotten the government diverted a portion of that revenue uh, over to government spending to support government spending um, and, and this generation actually paid a little bit of taxes in terms of PFD cuts to help finance government. We should have done more. We, if we were going to spend this much, this generation, uh, uh, should have paid more, but we paid a little bit. Now, when we, when we're, when we're sort of getting hopefully to the end of this, uh, this, this cycle of overspending, uh, now uh, essentially, what, what some are talking about is wanting to rebate the taxes we paid the last three years, the little contribution this generation made toward overspending, want to rebate that and pay everybody back for those PFD cuts, those PFD taxes, uh, and not even contribute, not even have this generation contribute that little amount uh, to, uh, to the overspending that occurred. That payback would come out of the earnings reserve account. Would reduce the earnings reserve account by something over two between two and three billion dollars, and and would take it out of the investment base that's in the permanent fund going forward, uh, that produces earnings for future generations. Essentially, that payback would operate as a tax on future generations, shift the costs, excuse me, shift the costs of, of these last three years, the portion of the cost that was covered by PFD cuts shift that out to future generations uh, and cause future generations not only to ha- now have to fill back in the fiscal reserves that this generation depleted, but also then to get, have lower earnings going forward to the tune of about one hundred and fifty million dollars a year, have lower earnings going forward because of taking this this money out of the earnings reserve account to pay the PFD uh, PFD cuts. I, I think that is, I think that's bad fiscal policy. We had bad leaders the last three years. They shouldn't have done PFD cuts. We should have done uh, uh, spending reductions, but they didn't do spending reductions. The people that we had elected didn't do spending reductions. They continued to spend at high levels. We paid a little bit of tax for that, and we have to. And we should live up to that. We shouldn't try to shift even that cost. That little bit of co- that little bit of of contribution that we made toward these deficits. We shouldn't try to to shift even that out into future generations i think we just need to live with uh with those taxes that we had the last three years accept them change the leaders as we did this election that's sort of what you do when you have bad leadership that's that's leading you a bad way uh, change the leadership but not try to get a rebate of those taxes that we paid the last three years and shift even that caught co- that cost out to future generations
1: so here's the million dollar question on that then uh, with that being said um and i agree from a standpoint of saying um you know if we wanted that much government we should have paid for it and this is essentially a way of paying for it is by taking that money out uh but at the same time um, you know it was our money and a lot of us were screaming about this i I'm, i'm a little torn brad i understand your reasoning but at the same time i mean you know hey I'm a family that was definitely hurt and affected by this. Uh, You know, I mean, I, you know, we took a serious hit um, over the last three years. And that money would go a long way to making our family whole and keeping us on the road to recovery. But I agree with what you're saying that, you know, robbing from the seed corn is not necessarily the way to do it either. But I guess here's the million-dollar question. What will Mike Dunleavy do? Uh, He's he's delivered on a – I mean, he's given a promise. Uh, so the question is, will he deliver on that promise? The bigger question is, can he get a legislature that will cooperate with him to deliver on that promise? Because again, he's the administrator; he can put it in the budget originally, but he can't appropriate the money. So, what you know, what what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think I think the I think Dunleavy's administration will propose it. It was a big it was a big issue during the the latter stages of the campaign. He promised it. Uh, the whole campaign was built around trust, uh, restoring trust in Alaska government, restoring trust in Alaska leadership. I think he's going to propose it. And I, you know, I, I understand that. I, it's it's a, to me, it's more political than it is uh, economically driven. But but I, I, he, I think he's going to propose it. My argument uh, and, and the discussions I intend to have about this issue are going to be in the legislature. The legislature right. needs to appropriate the money. We'll need to appropriate the money to to do that i think that is i think it's just as, as i said i think it's just shifting the problem that we've had over the three years kicking it on down the road to the next generation we've done a lot of that we kick purrs and Turs down the road you've talked about it on the show we've talked about it on the show a lot before we'll talk about it again in the future we kick these oil tax credits down the road to the next generation uh, we've drained the savings that the next generation, you know, we, we've we've taken 20 billion dollars out of out of our fiscal reserves to make this generation better. Right now, the next generation is going to have to refill that uh, in order for them to have the same cushion that this generation uh, uh, used uh, for itself. We've kicked a huge amount of problems down the road to the next generation. Right. I think it's time to for this generation to face up. Said, yeah, we had bad leaders. They they sent us in a bad direction. We had to pay taxes. We've replaced it yeah. now. That's what we can do. We need to go forward from
1: here. God, it's so hard, Brad. Because I'm agree, I'm in agreement with you, but at the same time, man, that money would go so far and do so much for my family, things that we should have received already, and have been taxed so hard on it. Just, it's I, I understand, and again, the seed corn concept, but man, that's a temptation right there. I'll tell you what.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, it is. It's always a temptation for the current generation that has their hands on the hands on the on the money. To sort of you know slide more of it in their direction and say well the future generation is going to have to fend for itself but the permanent fund is set up on the principle of intergenerational equity each generation standing up and being responsible for what they're doing and looking out for the next generation so we slide that two billion dollars to two plus billion dollars over to this generation say yeah we deserve that tax rebate Our our leaders were crazy they shouldn't have done it um yeah we yeah we we overspent but we want that money back we slide that money over to us that's 150 million dollars a year every year in perpetuity right that we've taken out out of the hands of our kids and grandkids and their kids and grandkids and i that's that's just not that's not how the pfd is supposed to work how the permit fund is supposed to work
1: right all right i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna grudgingly agree with you um against my you know uh, more uh my more greedy nature i guess or whatever it is you know my self-preservation mode's trying to kick in here um all right let's talk for a minute about uh the oil prices and where we're at what do you see happening what is the effect on alaska you know where are we going with it
0: well oil prices are down we're on a 10-day slide sets a record of the, of the number of consecutive days that oil prices have been down uh, what we're seeing is stronger than anticipated supply. Shale has come back on uh, uh, in a major way in the U.S. Iran, which everybody thought was going to be cut off by the Trump administration at the last minute, the Trump administration granted some waivers that kept some a portion of the Iran supply uh, going. Saudi had ramped up production. Uh, Saudi and both Russia, both Saudi and Russia, had ramped up production. Uh, in response to Trump's concerns about what the Iran shutdown was going to do. And so we have production there. The world economy is softening, so demand's starting to, to soften. And, um, and so those fundamentals are driving oil prices down. Um, uh, and, and they're going to continue to drive oil prices down. Would they have gone into the 60s uh, naturally? Probably not. But what's driving it even further now is Trump. Uh, with with all of these demands that Saudi keep production on uh, and keep and, and, and the Trump administration made the decision not to not to completely close down Iran, uh, with it, which kept that production on. So it's Trump driving the Saudis saying, keep your production production up. That's what's really causing this uh, uh, this this even deeper plunge than I think we would have saw seen from uh, natural forces. And it depends on whether he keeps that up and whether the Saudis pay attention to him. Um, if the Saudis do pay attention to him and he keeps that he keeps that up, we're gonna we're gonna go deeper into the 60s, and that's that's gonna make Alaska's budget issues even more difficult than they otherwise uh, were gonna be. Um, it's not gonna give Dunleavy the, the bump in revenues that I think he was uh, he was anticipating. So it we're we this this the oil drop is evolving in how deep it will go. I think. The fundamentals are driving it down, regardless. But it really depends on the Trump administration what they do about Iran going forward, and what the president does in his relationship with Saudi going forward about how deep we're going to go down.
1: So this translates into don't count on oil to bail you out, buddy. I mean that's kind of what it comes down to in the long run, uh, which I think has been a part of the plan uh, for sure. Uh, but uh, don't count on it when it when you're when it's all said and done because you just have no idea at this point.
0: Yeah, exactly right, and and I think the Dunleavy administration is probably struggling right now uh, uh, on how they're going to forecast uh, oil prices uh, uh, going forward, and I and I would struggle along with them. It's it's um, but you can't you can't count on the oil price cavalry coming over the hill. You're gonna it's going to have to what it should do is reinforce their natural inclination to make steep cuts in spending levels because you can't count on oil to bail you out.
1: Well, we're going to have to uh I guess we're going to have to watch it and uh and see what happens. Uh again, I'm a little concerned just again in some of the rhetoric uh because and maybe there's some kind of art master overarching plan uh for the president in what he's doing, but sometimes I'm just like please stop talking uh because <laughs> he, you know, I just you're not helping in a lot of ways and maybe he's got some kind of master plan that we're missing, but um you know I, i'm i'm just concerned that this is you know making things worse in the long run um and uh you know we've got to find some way to keep control in our own state uh and we have no control over what the president's doing so i mean that, I,
0: that, and we have no control over the bigger picture of of shale re- uh, reoccurring and and what saudi does we, we're sort of a, a price taker not a price driver so yeah uh, we, but we, but I, the, the, the trends right now tell us that we need to be prepared for staying in what the markets are saying is a bear market for a an extended period of time.
1: Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, Brad Keithley, thank you so much, my friend, for sticking around with us and coming back. And uh, we appreciate you being part of it.
0: Michael, thanks as always for having me. Well, that's a wrap for another week's edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube and SoundCloud pages and keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the weekly top three.